Hello and welcome to Spy Hard's podcast, where your hosts go deep undercover into the world of spy movies to decipher which films make the knock list. But remember, this information is strictly for your ears only. I'm Agent Scott. And I'm Cam the Provocateur, flying in on the gorgeous Georgian. <laughs> he prepared that and he's reading it off a piece of paper right now, guys. That's uh, He's been saving that one about a week. <laughs> Accurate. <laughs> But um, before we get to the film proper, we are joined by writer, producer, actor, and co-host of the Fordcaster Harrison Ford podcast, which might give you a hint, Lauren Milberger. Hello. It's such a pleasure to be here to talk about one of my favorite humans. And, and not <laughs> so much favorite movies. films. <laughs> yeah. yeah. No, look, you, you want to give it away? Yes, I do not enjoy this film. And if you listen to our episode on it, we talk about it for like 40 minutes of the episode. Like the rest is just like, oh, what'd you see on Broadway recently? Oh, I just did this over my break because we don't want to talk about it. That was my introduction to the Fordcast. I'm like, they don't really talk about the film too much. It turns out it's just Hanover Street, really. Just Hanover Street, yes. If anyone wants to listen to our episodes, we are very good about actually talking about it. Uh, we did not like it. Um Sorry, everybody. Spoiler alert. But don't uh, worry. That was then. That was then. This is now. I, um, I was looking forward to it because I love World okay. War II movies. So that might have helped the reason why we were disappointed with it. Let's but put a pin ahead. in that. Let's, Let's put, put a pin in that. Because I want to get to know you. Oh, lovely. Lauren. So, I mean, apart from the fact that this is a spy movie podcast, and we'll get to that in a second. How did you get into, I mean, obviously, as I said, writer, producer, actor, you have a, a bunch of podcasts that you work on. So how did this all get started? Let's go with podcasting. How did you get into that? Well, I had really wanted to get into podcasting. And um, in full disclosure, I had been dealing with an autoimmune issue and I wasn't really able to do as much about like five or six years ago. And so podcasting, even though it had been something I had wanted to do, uh, I decided that I had the time and it was something I could do from my home. And when, you know, you're dealing with a chronic illness, a lot of times you don't know how your life is going to be. And this was something that I could do without having to leave my house. But it really became something that I really loved doing and continue to do now that, you know, good news is I am able to now deal with my my chronic issue in a really great way. Um, you can't say that you're, you know, um, in remission necessarily from a uh, autoimmune, but I feel that I am, you know, technically. Mm -hmm. So that's great. Um, and it's a way that you can really produce on your own, you know, coming from being an actor and then sort of, you know, walking backwards into writing and so forth. You need a group of people to do something. And what I think is so great about a podcast is that it's very easy to get the equipment. You can talk to some really amazing people and you can do it from your home. I mean, there's a big reason why there was such a boom, obviously, you know, with the pandemic, because it is something that you can do. And I think that people get overwhelmed maybe by the sound or, uh, you know, getting the right equipment. But it's really, you know, very easy. And then you can have fun talking to strangers. I, I like talking to people. It's a long-winded answer, but I love podcasting. Well, no, I mean, even idiots like me and Cam can do it. This, this is proof. Mm -hmm. so, <laughs> yes, that's what I'm getting at. Yeah, exactly. And don't worry, it's nice to be in company. I also have an autoimmune disease. And oh, awesome. it's one of the reasons I kind of do this and I work from home all because of that. So, uh, yeah, you're, you're in good company here. Oh, great. Well, it's nice that uh, we can talk about it, right? I think that it's something that isn't talked about as much. And people, I think, need to know that... 
Um, there are leveling degrees of chronic illness, and you may mm -hmm. not be able to know by looking at someone, you know, that they might be having something or going through something. Absolutely. Right? Yeah. So I think before we talk about maybe spy movies, as I mentioned earlier, you co-host, well, it has wrapped now. The, the Ford it it has wrapped. wrapped. Well, you may have noticed Harrison Ford hasn't been doing that many movies. Mm, so yeah. when we ended the podcast, he had just finished Blade Runner and there was a very long gap. Mm -hmm. And a couple have come out recently. There was a cartoon movie and uh, obviously, you know, he's in a couple other movies. I don't know. If it's, can you spoil now? It's been a long time since like cameos it, and stuff. It, this is plenty of spoilers. Go for it. If you're going to yeah, talk yeah, about yeah. Star he's, Wars, he's, go for you it. You know, he's in Star Wars. Um, so, uh, I think we might come back, you know, when Indiana the Jones comes out, cause obviously, you know, Indiana Jones and then, you know, do it, but it, uh, but we definitely, you know, took a break and we're all doing our own projects because he really wasn't that busy mm -hmm. at the time. I have a question, you know, I mean, it sounds like a silly question, I think for anyone of about our age group, but why Harrison Ford? Like, what was it about Harrison Ford that made you want to do a podcast? No, I get that question all the time. You know. Yeah, you know, it's funny. Um, I had been looking to do my own podcast, and I'm sure as you know, it's it's very hard to do podcasting on your own. You need someone to bounce off of. And uh, I met Rachel, and I had never met anyone who was so much younger than me who loved Harrison Ford, because he seems more sort of like a Gen X early millennial or even, you know, a late, late boomer kind of person, right? Mm -hmm. And uh, and I was like, I'd love to interview you for my podcast. And she went, well, actually, I've been wanting to do a podcast on Harrison Ford. And I, I feel like it's, you know, you shouldn't say no. I mean, sometimes you need to say no, obviously. But like, yes, is such a really freeing thing to do. And I thought, why not? What am I doing right now except trying to figure out what's wrong with me? So medically, I should say that's a whole other thing. <laughs> um, so, yeah, so we... We actually had met online, like through Twitter, because she'd been doing these really cool, like funny Harrison Ford things. And uh, and we were just went, sure, why not? We both live in New York and we got together and we uh, we got a producer and then we started self-producing and we upgraded our microphones, you know, so the first couple episodes might not have great sound. Um, but mm -hmm. it was really, um, yeah, and I grew up loving Harrison Ford. And I have to say... I'm really glad that we did it because um, my sort of, you know, position on the show was to talk about his career in behind the scenes and kind of talk about the trajectory of his career as we did each film. And I really learned to admire him. You know, I think a lot of people don't realize that his goal was to be a character actor. He really cares about acting. And uh, I think that that's lost sometimes. Uh, so I found it really fascinating to kind of learn about him as a human good and bad, but mostly about his craft, that there was one. Well, it's, it's, it's funny you should say that. And, and, and going back to Cam's question, I wrote that question down for you originally, you know, why Harrison Ford? And then I said, that's a really boring question because you could turn around and say, why spy movies? And we'll be like, uh, I don't know. Yeah, we, we were free. Yeah, we weren't doing much. <laughs> yeah, why do but, you love this? Yeah, well, that's, that's... But I suppose what I wanted to ask you as a follow-up, and you kind sure. of answered it, was you've gone through this process now of course there are a couple of outlier films you'll look at down the road potentially but you you went through his back catalog has your appreciation for harrison ford gone up or, or gone down through through the process yeah definitely gone up you know and i think also it shows you that uh even a movie star started out somewhere and then even though we think of him as this huge star, I mean, he was almost 40 by the time he was what we would consider a huge star, which, you know, in Hollywood, uh, they say that 
well, for women, it's 28. But, you know, after a certain point, it's like, oh, it's too late. And I kind of appreciated that, that, I mean, it's not like it's someone like Catherine Joustin from West Wing. If anyone knows her, she has this amazing story about, you know, becoming uh, a working actor in her 60s, you know. So there's there's things like that. But still, like in that sort of genre that he really sort of kept at it. And it was later in his life, you know, even though he's older now. Um, but I guess I'm sort of going on here. Uh, yeah, I mean, like I said before, he... He's not someone who just wanted to, you know, go to California and be famous and be a hot, young or oldish guy, you know. And listen, he's not perfect, you know, learned a lot about his, his personal life, too. Right. But mm-hmm. uh, I think that a lot of us, including myself, just saw him as kind of this sort of pretty boy. And the other interesting thing that I think that uh, I came across is that. As he try, as he got more famous he kept pushing up against that sort of movie star image to try to be, you know, an actor who disappeared into his roles, you know? I mean, he's obviously not going to be, you know, like uh, Meryl Streep or even Stanley Tucci um, or someone who, you know, completely becomes a different character. I don't know if maybe Stanley Tucci is the best example, but uh, he kept trying and he would show up, you know, with a weird haircut or a beard like in uh, Fugitive, and they were like, no, no, you can't do that. And he pushed, and a lot of the times he didn't succeed, Um, but sometimes he did. You know, the compromise was that he would just have the beard, you know, for the first part of the movie, because he was like, everyone's going to know what I look like. Like, what? Like, he really does think about what all actors think about is, you know, who, what, when, and why. Why, you know, this doesn't make sense. He's not just sort of there to, you know, or I'll be a Kardashian or something else, a completely different thing. But uh, that I really admire that, that he is he is really trying. You know, I come from um, an acting background, like I mentioned, and I have a degree in acting and I've studied acting. And, and he maybe didn't, you know, have the same kind of training, but he wants it to be real. And I think that that is why he also may come across as uh, a little curmudgeon Hmm. I also think that people don't realize that a lot of the times he is kidding. Yeah, he has like a very dry sense of humor. He does. And I think a lot of people take him seriously. And also, I think he also likes to play on that sort of curmudgeon thing. But, uh, you know, he just wants to be a good actor. And it seems like Hollywood just wants him to be a pretty face. Or, you know, an action hero. I have a kind of a follow-up question just to talk about his filmography. And that, you know, most people will say Indiana Jones, Star Wars, Blade Runner. They're going to name the big iconic Harrison Ford films. But I'm curious, along the journey you took, if there was one that was maybe a lesser mentioned movie in his filmography that really jumped out to you that you have a lot of appreciation for now. You know, it's funny. That's a really good question. Uh, Having been alive during the majority of his filmography, I would say that nothing surprised me. Mm Hmm. Uh, but I wish that more people would, you know, focus on his work in Regarding Henry, in Working Girl, where he's really a supporting character. He's not even the lead in that, which is a big deal. Um, yeah. That really was a time in his career when he, he wouldn't take that kind of role, but he really liked the script and he, you know, is such an integral part of the movie. You know, he's kind of the girl in it, if you think about it. Um... And, you know, I 
I really like him and Diane Keaton in Morning Glory, but I wish the movie was about the two of them. And that's sure. Not it's not about them. And so there's there's things like that, you know. Really uh, this is not really your question, but I would say my wish for Harrison Ford going forward for people to appreciate is that um I wish that he would uh become the character actor that he really wanted to do because now that he's older this is the time for him to do it totally he already has all the box office stuff and if you watch 42 even though i'm not a huge fan of the movie per se um or you know i don't think it's an earth-shattering performance but most people don't know that's harrison ford uh uh as was it ranch ricky and i don't forget the name right um he's really playing against type and playing sort of the character actor uh supporting role and then i think what happened was he was throwing a lot of money which you know hey and now it's all about reboots and that's all he's really been doing so i i feel like he had the opportunity to finally be what he wanted to be he did a couple of those sort of supporting films and then i don't think he's gonna go back but listen he's he's gonna turn 80 this year so if he wants to retire <laughs> be my guest <laughs> really he's got a lot of kids he's gonna turn 80 this year he's gonna yeah yeah wow i didn't know that i didn't know how old. i thought he was in these sort of i mean in july but then again you know was, uh, yeah. i thought he was in his like 60s 70s but yeah okay. yeah, yeah fair he's, enough, he's yeah. quite up there for this latest indiana jones film <laughs> yeah that's gonna put a bit of a weird spin on it yeah yeah i mean they had to take a break because what did he did he like hurt himself again? Something happened to I him. I think so. Yeah. There was a there was an injury on set that delayed it. Yeah. yeah. I think you're right. Yeah. I mean, listen, he looks like he's in fantastic shape for his age. Better shape than I am now. <laughs> I, I'm in my mid thirties and I, I hurt myself climbing up the stairs early today. So it, it happens it can happen at any age. Right? Let's, yeah. Let's be fair. Um well, okay. That's Harrison Ford. Yes. But we're talking about spy movies here. And of course, I hope you got the martini and the tuxedo we sent you in the post. Yes, I have it right here. I'll put it on right now. Yeah, good. Suited and booted. (laughs) Spy movie credentials. What is your favorite spy movie? See, I was afraid of this because I racked my brain and I realized that I, I don't necessarily gravitate towards spy movies. Uh, sorry to say. Thank you for coming. Yes. Goodbye. Um, but what I realized that was because I like comedy with my thriller or my spy stuff or my intrigue. And maybe that's being a child of the 80s. So like we had mentioned off mic that I grew up loving Spies Like Us, although I don't know if it holds up at all. Um, also, I'm the only person that loved watching The Man with One Red Shoe. But I listen, Carrie Fisher <laughs> is in that movie and she... She's fantastic. But I also love Tom Hanks. That being said, I think that for me, it's probably something like Jumping Jack Flash with Ruby Goldberg, mm-hmm. directed by the amazing Penny Marshall. And there's just something about this that they don't do anymore, which I wish they did, this sort of 80s genre where they would mix comedy with real high stakes drama, people dying, mystery type thing. And so you're interested in the mystery, but you're also laughing. And so that's the perfect sort of, you know, juxtaposition of that movie. And Whoopi Goldberg is fantastic in it. And I wish more people would watch that movie. So something along the lines of that. And I think it's because I'm on the spot that I, I was like, 
this whole week, I was like, oh, what other movies that are like that that I really find interesting? Because I like a good thriller. Mm-hmm. I, lo- I love a good sort of, you know, putting the pieces together. And that's what a spy movie is. Yeah, I mean, and also a lot of those movies are really grounded in character. Like the comedy yes. comes from the actual characters versus what happens if we put this person through all sorts of wacky shenanigans? Like they actually just have a very grounded story, but the characters are funny themselves. Yeah, and the one of the great things about a movie like Jumping Jack Flash, and I think movies like that, is that not only is the main character grounded, but all of the other characters behind them, in the bank where she works, the people that she meets, like, you know, from Annie Potts to uh, Tracy Ullman with, like, what, like, three lines or something in that movie. And so the whole world around, or her boss, right, with the wig, um, the whole movie is so grounded in all of the characters that when something happens... It makes sense to you. And then also, of course, all the people at the end are important to how she eventually, like, you know, gets the upper hand with the bad guy. Not to give it away. I need to stop you, Lauren. Yeah. You said that the film was grounded, but I don't think the concept of Jonathan Price as a sex symbol is grounded. Hold on, though. It's just his voice, for one thing. We never see him. No, no. He turns up at the end. He comes in at the end. He does? Why do I always think that he doesn't come in at the end? (laughs) Because you're like, oh, that's right, because you... Because you see his his image in the computer and then she turns around. That's right. For some reason, I always think that he's not there. Uh, I think you're wrong. Now, am I saying that Jonathan Price is my type? (laughs) No, I'm not. But although, wait, I take this back, though. Okay, let's just say that he isn't, right? (laughs) She's she has an idea in her head. She's not hearing his voice Mm -hmm. when she's typing, right? We're hearing his voice. We know what he he sounds like. To her, he's just some, like, brick guy. You know, a lot of women accents can do it. Even men, what am I saying? A lot of people accents can do it. I was saying woman because of Whoopi Goldberg. Mm -hmm. But uh, I think that that's subjective. And I think that she has a romantic version of him. Oh, wait, I shouldn't take that. I should take that back. She sees the picture of him in his apartment, doesn't she? She knows what he looks like. Um, But still. I don't know. No, she sees a picture of someone else. Is it? it? It's not him. Yeah. And it's been so long only, since I've seen I it. I watched this recently. I've, it's in yeah, my head. Yeah, it's been so long since I've seen and it. But uh, he turns up at the end and saves the day, and then they then they go out together afterwards. So they do. She does like get a smooch. Well, she saves the day by having him sit in the chair. I would say. Oh sure, no, no. I, Whoopi Goldberg is the hero. <laughs> yeah, yeah, okay. I'm not saying Jonathan Price is the hero of anything. Um, but anyway. I think you're passing muster on spy movies here because you like the comedies and so do I. So you get my okay, stamp of yeah. approval. So we can talk about this forever. Yeah. Yeah. But, you know, speaking of comedies, because we must be finding it completely hilarious to be talking about this film, <laughs> and you clearly loved it on your show. Cam, what on earth are we talking about this week? <laughs> we are talking about 1979's Hanover Street, starring Harrison Ford and directed by Peter Hyams. Yay. So, <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> Strap in, folks. <laughs> what I'll do, I'm going to read the letterbox.com synopsis, and then I want to talk about our first thoughts. Oh, this will be interesting. Yes, I'm curious what they say. Well, we have a history on this podcast of coming across perhaps the longest verbiage ever on some of these synopses. This might be the shortest. Cool. Well, not much. Which is probably for the best. Yes. Hanover Street, a fateful entanglement of two men in love <laughs> with the same woman. (gasps) Margaret is a nurse in England during World War II and married to a secret agent. Things get complicated when she falls for David, an American pilot. Very simple. Very simple. Yeah. 
That's simple. I think it gives away what might be the more interesting reveal in the movie, but sure. I, I I'll take it over some of the things I've read out. I I've had I've had to like take breaks in reading some of yeah. the synopsis, like to breathe. So this this was nice. But okay, so we kind of spoiled this earlier. You didn't like this film. No. You know, the, I think it's hard though, right? I mean, I know it didn't do well and I know, and I can talk about in a bit sort of the behind the scenes issues that probably affected this film. But it feels like a 1980s Daniel Steele movie that would be on NBC uh, from nine to 11 o'clock at night. <laughs> it, uh-huh. In fact, uh, the main actress is in North and South, which would be the best, biggest example other than, you know, uh, the winds of war. Well, those aren't Daniel Steele, but that sort of boom, you know, where there were all these sort of miniseries based on books and they did a whole bunch of Daniel Steele stuff or like Lace, I think is a Daniel Steele. Yeah. It, there's there's no sort of truth to any of it. Uh, it it doesn't play romantic to me. Harrison Ford doesn't seem like he's having any fun in this film. It's. <laughs> well, tell tell us what you really think. No, so okay. You, when you watch this, when did you record the episode on, on the Ford cast for this? How long ago did you first watch this film? Good question. I think I first saw it maybe in 2017. 2016 okay so that that was 2017's lauren's oh, opinion okay so we'll, we'll keep that there we'll put a pin in it because we're going to get to now so cam had you got any experience with this film had you ever seen it heard of it anything uh when i was going through when i was younger just burning through all the harrison ford films this one never jumped out i just never saw it it's one i'd seen pop up on amazon prime over the last year or so and i thought i'm gonna hold off on that until we do it on spy hearts so no i'd never seen it yeah, I well, I notoriously have never seen any film ever, apparently, until we watch it on the show. So I had no connection to it whatsoever, apart from Patsy Kensett, which is the weirdest thing to be connected to. <laughs> I couldn't believe that was her. I know. Like, I... Yeah. It's crazy. She's Well, she's so small in it. I've met her. Oh, you did? It's so weird. Oh, funny. Yeah. I know her face. I mean... Small world. She's been... You know, she just sort of was kind of there at a certain period of time and stuff. I can't think yeah, of... Yeah, she had like a moment. Yeah, like I can't tell you what she's been in, but I was like, oh, her, that girl. Um, and I was looking forward to seeing the film. Like, don't get me wrong. Like, we were like, oh, we're going to do mm. Hanover Street. You know, a romantic World War II. M- no. <laughs> it feels like exactly the kind of thing you want to wrap yourself in a blanket uh, with a nice drink and just watch the film for two hours, isn't it? It's got that kind of comfort food concept about it. Not so much delivery, but concept. And there are bad movies that you can go, I know this is bad, but man, do I enjoy it. And there's just nothing about this movie that that really does that. And I, I think a lot of it is that it seems like the director, which he has said, wanted it to be kind of like a 1940s film. But there's no mm. nothing that grounds the movie. It's a lot of, you know, let me let me do an image of a couple you know hugging and being so wistful for each other and oh you're my everything i know i just met you but there's nothing behind that and i think it's a combination of the script and a combination of just the actors and and something i did sort of learn particularly you know early on is that if harrison doesn't have a director that lets him ask questions that is a collaborator with him he does not have a good experience and it shows up on screen. Now, I think as he got older, that was something he was able to work past. But in the beginning of his career, I think that Star Wars really hit for him because George Lucas was around, you know, his age or younger, right? He wasn't this sort of older uh, person who who saw him as just, you know, a nobody, even though Star Wars obviously had come out. But 
He wasn't happy with the script. They told him that they would work on it, and he agreed to do it. He also was having trouble in his marriage at the time. He was most likely having an affair, which the actress uh, Leslie Ann Downs says that she was. So that wasn't helpful to the end of his marriage. Uh, it wasn't a happy time in his personal life. And I feel like if I didn't know that, I would have guessed that. But really, I think it's about he didn't have a director that he trusted and let him ask questions to be like, this doesn't make sense. Why are we doing this? Because he didn't like the script. And they, you know, told him they would fix it and they didn't. Well, I, I think that kind of leads us beautifully into the next bit, which is where we talk about how the film got made. Cam, I mean, how did we get to missing our bus just like this? You know, what happened? <laughs> uh, well, so, you know, as we've said, this is written and directed by Peter Hyams and He'd started out initially as a writer in 1971. He wrote a movie called T.R. Baskin with Candace Bergen. I have never seen nor heard of this movie, but um, it was a thing. And he moved into <laughs> directing and he did a couple things. He did some TV movies. He did a 1974 Elliot Gould film called Busting. And he, then he, in 1975, he made a movie called Peeper starring Michael Caine. Um, I have not seen it, but it was a gigantic failure. And he really just... <laughs> didn't think he would be able to work. And so Peter Hyams wrote Hanover Street, and there was a lot of interest in this screenplay, like a lot. People wanted to buy it, and he said he just, he really wanted to direct it himself, and so he just held on to it and refused to sell it. And he ended up directing the movie Capricorn One in 77, which was a, you know, modest hit. It was a, you know, I think a bit of a, a cult sci-fi favorite. And it gave him enough clout to be able to direct Hanover. And so uh, we'll talk about the production of Hanover in a bit. But, you know, I should say Peter Hyams, for those not familiar, um, the movies I've named, you probably haven't heard that much about other than maybe Capricorn One. But he would go on to do things like 2010, The Year We Make Contact. He did Outland with Sean Connery. Time Cop with Van Damme. He did the Schwarzenegger film End of Days. So later on, he did a lot of action hero uh, vehicles. But that was sort of his, um, you know, sort of career trajectory. And this movie, he said, was inspired by the 1940 Vivian Leigh film Waterloo Bridge, which is a remake of a 1931 film starring Mae Clark. I have not seen Waterloo Bridge. Has anyone here? I haven't, but I've heard of it. I, I've been on Waterloo Bridge several times. Because but... isn't, isn't it what <laughs> you said it was with Vivian Leigh, correct? Yeah, the remake is. Yeah, and that's the one that inspired this one. Yeah, I, I think that that's the movie that got her the attention of the United States. I mean, obviously, you know, dating um, Laurence Olivier helped. But like, I feel like that is what I don't. OK, that sounded bad. I just meant in the sense of like the American public knew who she was because they were seen mm -hmm. together. I didn't mean that in the sense of like he helped her get a job, but uh, because they were dating. Uh, she was sort of only really known in England, I think, you know, sort of before that. And I think that this is what got her seen across the pond to be seen for Gone, for, Gone with the Wind. That's my understanding. Right, right. That's why I know it. But I've never seen it. I just know it as part of film history. Yeah, it's one I think I'm going to actually track down and watch because I'm just curious to see what connections it has to this movie. Um, yeah. But uh, so when they came to cast Hanover Street, I think it's pretty obvious they cast Chris Christopherson and Genevieve Bijol. So um, that's not what wound up on screen, though, you may be telling yourself right now, because over the course of, you know, heading into production, Christopherson wasn't very happy with the uh, script, so he bailed. And she followed. And Columbia proceeded to sue Chris Christopherson for a breach of contract in quitting this movie. 
And I found a great interview with Christopherson where it's like a very in the moment interview. It's just after this has all happened. And apparently his way of trying to kind of settle the legal issues he had with uh, Columbia was to go and pitch a project he wanted to make to them and say, I'll make it for you. And so he went to Columbia and offered to make a movie called The Johnson County War with them. And it would be written and directed by Michael Cimino. And Christopherson loved the script. And the studio was like, we're, we're not interested in this one, thanks. So the legal issues were ironed out on their own. He did not make The Johnson County War with uh, Columbia. But he did go on and make it elsewhere. And that movie was renamed... And it was referred to as Heaven's Gate, and it was released in 1980, and it became one of the biggest box office bombs of all time. I think I knew this, and I totally forgot. <laughs> wow. Oh, I know. It sounds familiar. Oh, God. Heaven's Gate. And the interview I found where he's talking about the Hanover lawsuit was uh, published before the opening of Heaven's Gate. So it's him like just filled with, like, I think this all worked out the best. I've got Heaven's Gate. And yeah, the movie I've heard, like, I have never seen Heaven's Gate. I should watch it one of these days. It's actually... I haven't either, no. I just... People do actually genuinely like it. It has been reappraised over the years. But at the time, it was this meditative three-hour and 40-minute Western that the world did not have time for. Well, my understanding also with Heaven's Gate is that it was one of those things like with Ishtar, right? Where it just... It costs so much money to... Or Hudson Hawk, I maybe is a better example, right? That it costs so much money to make. Mm. It was a failure... Because it didn't make enough money and like not even, you know, half of the money, right? It just didn't make enough money to qualify the cost of the film. So it's a, considered a box office failure in huge amounts because of the discrepancy, right? That's that's my understanding about Heaven's Gate, right? It was just a huge bomb financially, right? Oh, maybe I'm wrong. And also, yeah, I, I'm pretty sure that's the case. I think it was also quite slow paced and meditative. So it's more of a niche audience film for something that big and expensive um so i i need to watch it one of these days because yeah. i have heard from many people that it's actually a good movie worth watching well cam cam yeah we don't do niche audiences here we talk about <laughs> big blockbuster movies only you know like hanover street right that's right that's right yeah and cam did you say genevieve bujold i did yes i think i mangled the pronunciation but yes yeah it's just fascinating. I've never seen this person. She's been she's she was almost in Star Trek Voyager, then yeah. didn't do it. Yes, that's what I was thinking of. Sorry. <laughs> yeah, and then she was also almost in this, and then didn't do it. So I'm just sitting there going, I've never seen this woman. She keeps running away from me, which is like most women in my life. Sure. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and men. Isn't she like a big star in France? Yeah. She was. Yeah, a fantastic actress. Just that. Seems to circle projects that don't work out. Voyager, she was cast as Janeway, and they ended up recasting because it was not working out chemistry-wise. So, um, yeah, I mean, hopefully we can one day cover something she's actually in. I don't know if she did a spy movie, but who knows. Have you ever seen her in something? Have you seen a film of Genevieve? No. I just know her from being a person. <laughs> And the Star Trek thing, <laughs> almost, almost in a lot of films. Yeah, yeah, like I, like a name, you know, like, uh, like when I was a kid, I knew Piazadora, but I didn't really understand what Piazadora did. I just knew that Piazadora was a person that people mentioned on talk shows. Like, I know she's an actor. Maybe she is the best actor of all time. Piazadora, and just we'll never know. No, no, as Genevieve Pajol, we'll just never know. She'll just any project we go to watch, she'll have left. 
there's so many great French actors who just don't do English. Like, yeah, like she, mm. I, I, I bet that she, I don't want to make any guesses, but you know, she didn't have to do any English stuff. She'd just go back to her own country. Why would you want to live here? Or here. <laughs> right, yeah. I have seen a couple things she's done. I saw um, Brian De Palma's Obsession. She was one of the leads. And also I saw Dead Ringers, the Cronenberg film. Oh, okay. So I've seen she's her in a couple things. Of, see, I'm an idiot. She's done a lot of English okay. stuff. I sound like a horror. Welcome to the team. <laughs> <laughs> uh, so Harrison Ford, obviously they needed a leading man. And he was at the time shooting Force 10 from Navarone. And they persuaded him to come and join this film. And... He was not a fan of the finished product. Um, he did not have a good time making the movie. I found a quote from him on Wikipedia. Oh. And it's very tough to find actual behind-the-scenes details on Hanover Street. Like, not a lot of interest in tracking the production on this one. So I had to kind of go off what I could find in interviews. But there was some stuff on Wikipedia that was cited to print sources that aren't online. So I'm just going to hope that this one is true because I really love the quote. So Harrison Ford said he accepted the role because I had never played a love scene in all my years in the movies at this point. So that was sort of the appeal to do a romance. And he said, I thought that the part would help me grow, but I hated making that film from start to finish. He said he never saw the film and they wanted me to promote it, but they wouldn't show it to me. And I'd never pay to see it. It was a terrible experience. Well, I have uh, one of the many Harrison Ford biographies. If you'd like me to read another quote. Mm -hmm. Uh, what he thought of the please. film. Oh, yes, please. Uh, making the film was not a happy experience for me. He said in 1981, I haven't seen it, so I don't want to talk about it. I keep saying that if 50 people tell me they liked it, then I may change my mind and see it. But so far, I'm just up to 18, so there's no immediate danger of that happening. <laughs> <laughs> That's such a specific number. <laughs> 18, which is about the same amount of people that have watched this on letterbox.com. Probably. So that makes Listen, sense. you know, I think that there is a, a a small swath of a generation of young girls who, when this came out, may have been like 16 or 15, you know, sort of that sort of, you know, Beatles era that I, I like to think about when mm -hmm. it's just mm -hmm. like, I have just met the man of my dreams and I will love him for the rest of my life, which obviously Harrison Ford is for many women of many generations, but... I think that a lot of girls who watched this when they were very young absolutely loved it. Yeah. You know, because again, like it says, it, it feels like kind of this storybook romance kind of a thing. And um, that's why I was looking forward to it, because I'd heard some people who were, I would say, around that age at the time who were like, oh, I love that movie so much. And we were quite shocked. No, I, I think you're right. But I, I mean, Cam, did you have any more on the on the background before we get into the, the review proper? Yeah, just to wrap it up, the budget for the movie was $8 million. Domestically, it did $3 million. Mm. So, and there was, it seems, no international release. So its worldwide total was $3 million. Which is bizarre because it's, it's meant to be fake set in London. Uh, yep, but in those days, if it just bombed domestically, they're like, don't even bother. Was that, a, was that an Air Force pun? <laughs> oh, yes, it was. That Yes, it was, intentionally. So uh, it was number 66 for the year between the George Siegel romantic comedy Lost and Found and the dancing drama Voices. I think it's really weird to call it dancing drama Voices. Hmm. I mean, it's interesting around this time because uh, Harrison Ford w was being very picky about his roles and the fact that he did this, but he turned down the prequel to Butch Cassidy and the Sundance Kid. 
because he didn't want to be compared to Paul Newman. Yeah. So he was really trying to be very picky. And so I bet that this was also just sort of disappointing, you know, his big romantic lead. Uh, it didn't work out. Just to fill in the blanks for for people like me who don't necessarily know the lineage of Harrison Ford, and you two are both experts on it, I would say, where is he right now? He's he's done A New Hope, yes, yeah, Star he's... Wars at the time, mm-hmm. yep. So he's living in London, I imagine, at this point, like Elstree Studios. He's around, yes, and obviously, like you know, uh, he also filmed Star Wars uh, in in the UK. So he's spending a lot of time away from his family, a lot of time, you know, uh, in another country. Um, but Star Star Wars was the biggest movie um, at the point of all time. You know, people were on lines or, mm-hmm. for blocks and blocks. So his next movies were going to be, you know, a big deal. Whereas I think a couple of his movies uh, that he that came out in '79, he had films before Star Wars had come out, so he didn't have as much choice. This really feels like the first time that he had a choice on what he was going to make next. Even though he hadn't done Indiana Jones yet, and obviously Empire is a lot you know, stronger for Han as a character, and I think him as a movie star. Mm-hmm. Um, th- this was him finally really being someone that people recognized, to be a lead in a film. Even though Frisco Kid, which he filmed beforehand, he is a lead, uh, he had a lot less choice about that film. and. And also ended up working with a director that he didn't like, and it was miserable for him. So, so his main credit at this point is solely Star Absolutely. Wars. He hasn't done Empire. He hasn't done Indie. Uh, well, American Graffiti, he really made an impact in that film in a supporting role. But yeah, that's a good point. But I wouldn't say that people would. That's not a movie when that came out that people would see him on the street and go, oh, it's Harrison Ford. They would go, oh, that's the guy from that right. really great movie. Oh, I loved him in that movie. I feel like Star Wars when people actually were able to go, that's Harrison Ford. Do you know what I mean? Like a bigger difference for him to be yeah. offered roles. After American Graffiti, he still had to audition. Definitely. He didn't have to audition for this. He spoke in his trailer okay. with the director and he gave him the part. Big difference. I guess that's what I mean. Yeah. And so uh, I'll just say, like, the top uh, three for the year, number one was Kramer versus Kramer. Number two was the Amityville Horror. Number three was Rocky Two, And I'll just note that number nine was Moonraker. So also, you know, you have a Roger Moore film in this era. Mm-hmm. And uh, just the last note I had, we referenced her earlier, Patsy Kensett was nominated for a Young Artist Award for her performance in this film. Sure. <laughs> That sort of wraps up my behind-the-scenes on Hanover Street. <laughs> Probably the only person nominated for any kind of acting award in this film, I imagine. Yes, that's correct. I had forgotten when I rewatched it that they have this little child ask when she's going to develop breasts. That took me by surprise. Oh, wait, I was like, I forgot about this. This is strange. Yeah. Uh, yeah, yeah. There's a lot of strange things. I, I think now we can really we can really kick Sorry. off. Sorry. <laughs> I'm totally oh, tangenting today. No, no. <laughs> It's fine. This is what we want. So, okay, you visited this this film in, I think you said about 2017, 2016, mm-hmm. when you watched yeah. it the first time, around about then. Now, obviously, it's now 2022. You've watched it again. You must love it, of course. No, I, I don't. Okay. I'm really sorry. <laughs> uh, and listen, I wanted to talk about it. So I came I came on your, your lovely show, and thank you for asking me. Um but no, and I didn't think that I would enjoy it. Um, I do think that it reinforces just how charming Christopher Plummer is. And to say that Christopher Plummer 
in a Harrison Ford movie is more charming than Harrison Ford says a lot. Yeah. And listen, he I think he looks great in the uniform. And I I don't think he's very good in this movie. And he, it in this movie really <laughs> I mean, I already said it, so I don't want to like say it again, but it it and it's not like they don't have chemistry, but it just doesn't seem real. Do they? <laughs> Do they have chemistry? Well, you know what they say, right? They say that if you sleep together, you have no chemistry. But obviously, that's also not true because there are a lot of people who have slept together who are in movies who have chemistry, including Carrie Fisher and Harrison Ford. So I don't know if I can say that that's true. But... I, I'm not even sure they slept together. They, she they says just, they did. Uh, you know, I re-looked it up. because they, it... they sexily held hands. They sexily <laughs> held hands. Oh, I see you're saying yes. I mean, that's the thing too, right? To a modern audience, this just feels like an, it, it is a 1940s film based on the suggested <laughs> nudity and the, you know, the. that's why, again, it feels like a, t like a romantic TV movie. And I don't know if it's hard to explain to people mm. who only know, like, like, it's not even like a Hallmark movie. Like, these movies were on, at, you know, after 9 o'clock, and it was like, the maybe you'd see someone's back, and it would it would fade into something else, you know. It just, it, it comes across as hokey, mm. and not like uh, an homage, if that's what they were trying to do. Yeah, I, I figured the Hayes Code had, like, stopped Way before 1979. <laughs> yes, right? I mean, <laughs> but listen, you also you have an audience that you're going for. And I appreciate not, you know, not having full nudity, which would have been the woman. It wouldn't have been him for no reason. Right? Like, you mm -hmm. didn't have to do it. Um, it just, there's nothing really appealing. And that's why I think it's interesting, because as much as I don't like this movie, if the movie had just been Harrison Ford and Christopher Plummer in Germany... Or France, I'm sorry, they're in France. Yeah. That might have been more interesting to me than this woman who <laughs> is having an affair and I don't feel for either of them. I feel bad. I feel actually feel more for the husband the second time I'm watching it than I do for anyone else in the film. I, 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 I know exactly what you mean. I have two alternate titles for this film. I'll reveal the second one later. But the first one was the Pina Colada song, <laughs> The Movie. <laughs> I, wow. I do not like getting caught in the rain cam yeah you haven't shared your thoughts i i will let the listeners know that i accidentally stumbled upon your letterbox.com review <laughs> of this before we recorded oh. so i i know the star rating you've given it yeah i know where you're going but i want to hear your thoughts i was really excited about this one because it's kind of like you know scott as a star trek fan We've seen, mm -hmm. like, every Star Trek episode, right? Now mm -hmm. imagine you stumbled across a lost Star Trek episode you'd never seen. That would be so exciting, right? That's kind of how I felt with this movie, even though I'd put off watching on Amazon. It was like, I've seen every Harrison Ford movie, really, but I've never seen Hanover Street. Like, maybe there's going to be something exciting. Like, oh my god, this is really entertaining. I knew it was probably not going to be great. You know, just look it up on Rotten Tomatoes. You can get that sort of impression. But that doesn't mean it can't be kind of pulpy fun or, you know, a melodrama that's just really fun to watch. But I just found this movie, oh boy, it's trying to evoke 1940s romances, you know, these world, these wartime romances. But it is so drained of emotion that, like, the romance for me was just completely flat. 
And so I'm like, okay, you're asking me to invest in a relationship I don't believe. I'm watching scenes where it's like two actors sitting across and Harrison Ford is saying things like, something's happening here. And it's like, is it? Because I'm not seeing it on screen. And they kept telling me that. It kept, you know, Harrison Ford would be like, I love you. And it would be like, okay. And so the movie kept doing the, you know, just tell us, don't show us. You never got a real sense of this love affair. And Christopher Plummer, like, he's not really in the movie that much for the first half. He shows up, like, in one or two scenes. But they give you just enough of a hook with that character to make me care about him. Harrison Ford has this whole side story about getting increasingly, you know, just traumatized running these bombing missions. And I felt like scenes like that just fell flat. So the drama of the film just never worked. And we can talk about the men on a mission kind of aspect of the movie towards the, you know, the end of the film. Which mm-hmm. is a little—it's more goofy. Like there's bits of that I kind of enjoyed, but this movie is just like trying to do things that I think are pretty well established in Hollywood storytelling, and it does not do them well. And it does them in a way when I think of like if you approach a young person and ask them to watch a 1940s World War II romance, they picture this. They do not picture what those movies actually are, which is often very like exploding with emotion you know there's genuine passion going on there's these larger than life kind of stakes and you get pulled into the adventure of it i think people tend to imagine this where it's kind of flat kind of dry and you're just kind of sitting through two hours that's really good i agree with that and i think that's why i keep focusing on the groundedness to me is that there it's it's just you're supposed to believe they're in love because they say that they're in love and because that's what the story tells you is going to happen. This is a romance. They're in love. And I, I wonder if he was watching 1940s movies correctly then. You know, like, it, it feels like somebody who had to um, write a movie from memory after having seen it once and therefore, you know, sort of lobs onto the wrong aspects of it. Or why some people try to parody something, not that this is a parody, and they don't get the right sort of nuances of it because they're just not seeing it through the same lens. And I I also, you know, if I didn't know any better, I would say, oh, it's just dated now. But, it, it, you know, again, it didn't do well at the time, so it wasn't what people were looking for. But I also wonder if while he was evoking what he thought was old movie making, is that he was falling back on a way of making movies that no one really wanted to see anymore. Because if you see something like The Frisco Kid, which is another Harrison Ford movie that has Gene Wilder in it, and the two of them, you know, really have fun in it, but it's not a great movie because it feels like a movie from the 50s. This doesn't feel like an homage. It feels like something that's stuck in the past. Yeah. And doesn't know how to move forward. Because 79, like, you watch this movie and you think maybe it was the mid-70s. Like, it's not, we're not far away from the 80s. And the 70s was such a huge period for sort of breaking the mold of what movies were, right? Like, such a, a rich period. And now we're going into the 80s, which is going to be a little bit more glossy. But also with the glossiness is a little bit more of um, fine-tuning that this isn't. This feels old, even for 79 but not in the way that he, I think he wanted it to be. And when you think of like heading into the 1980s, there's nothing the 80s understood more than what a star vehicle was. Good point. And this one really doesn't. Like it feels kind of trapped between a star vehicle of the 80s and like trying to do this sort of downbeat character stuff of the 70s, but not well. Yeah, I, yeah. Well, I think you two have had your chance to 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 pee all over this film, all right? It's... <laughs> Let's have some love, shall we? 
Uh, no, sorry, I can't bring any. This film is the proverbial hot cup of brown water that Harrison Ford was not enjoying at the start of the film. I, 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 it feels like it was written by someone who doesn't know how to write the films he wants to write. He doesn't know how to write a romance. And it, I, I mean, I don't know about his other films. I can't speak to that. But I didn't feel any romantic uh, tension or fireworks or spark between the characters at all. The only bit of the film I like, which I'll get to, is the, the spy story later on. I mean, yes, you could make a comment that we're making a spy movie podcast. Of course, I like the spy story. But that's because it's just kind of goofy and fun. But yeah, ultimately, it's just a misfire. An absolute misfire. They've, they've missed their target, if you're going to go on a bomber pun. But, you know, the melodrama doesn't do anything for me. You're meant to buy this couple. You don't. So you don't have the stakes. You don't care. Um, the only other thing I liked was the John Barry score, which I think we'll get into maybe a little bit later on as well. But yeah, my final note, and this is my alternate title for the film. It's not Hanover Street. It's putting me to Hanover Sleep. <laughs> it's so weird to me. Like, if you want to make a movie like this built around a romance, and the romance is the most important part of the whole movie. That's what the whole movie is selling itself on is this relationship mm -hmm. between Harrison Ford and Leslie Ann Down. And it's like, there's just no passion on screen. But also, her character gets really removed from the story at a certain point. Like, she just spends most of the back half of this movie going to offices being like, so what's going on with, you know, my husband and this lover of mine? Like, it kind of doesn't give her that much agency in the story she's in. So, it's not great. Not great for her character. We interrupt this program to bring you a special report. Agents, we have some breaking intel. That's right. Independent podcasting is not cheap. Equipment, hosting, research... These all add up, and we don't have Vesper Lind to bail us out. And also, we don't want to run ads on the show. Leave the shopping to Harry Palmer, we say. And this is a big reason we created the Spy Hards Patreon. So we're here to ask for your help. Please consider joining the Patreon. You'll not only be gaining access to our exclusive lineup of reviews and film commentaries, but also helping support the show. We're currently saving to upgrade our sound equipment to meet IMF standards and give you an even better listening experience. With a wide range of flexible options and an ever-growing catalogue to dive into, become a true spy hard today and join the circus at patreon.com slash spyhards or you can find a link in the show notes below. Now Cam, resume the spy jinx. Well, we like to try and keep the positivity up on this podcast. We're not just going to, you know, crap all over it. I'm going to try and give it a couple of things I liked. Yeah. And I, I mentioned a couple. I think um, the John Barry score is the first thing I'll, I'll throw out. I think I actually listened to the John Barry score after I watched the film. It's actually a very good Barry score. It's maybe not as good as some of his Bond films, but it's something I would actually listen to again. So there is that. Lauren, what's something you liked about the film? I liked the team up uh, when they were uh, in sort of the, the German headquarters and Harrison Ford is trying to pretend that he knows German. Like, I know it's sort of an old sort of cliche World War II thing. You've seen it, you know, a million times, but it was more interesting than the whole rest of the movie. And I, I kind of like them together because they're so different, you know, and they had a, 
sort of a contrast. And and Christopher Plummer really wanted to help. You know, he felt this was really important, which is, I think is another reason why you really actually care for him. Um, and so I, I actually like the spy part of it. I wouldn't say that it that was great, but it was more interesting to me than the rest of the film. And if that had been the film, I think I would have enjoyed it more. I think that section of the film is far punchier than the rest of it. Which I think is interesting to say that the director went on to do a lot of action films. Like, obviously, like, that's what he's good at. Yeah, and you mentioned that point where Harrison Ford is pretending to understand German. He's just sitting there kind of, like, laughing as the guy's talking. And I'm like, this is a Harrison Ford movie star moment. Like, this Mm -hmm. feels like the kind of thing you'd get in Indiana Jones or Han Solo movies, you know, where it's just like, okay, like, this is a really good comedic beat of a character that he would really work into his movie star persona going forward. So like little moments and glimmers like that, I thought were effective. And to me, like, if I'm going to say what I think is the best, it's Christopher Plummer. And we've mentioned this up front. Like he has so little to work with. And I will say off the bat, when they introduced him, I was like, why am I supposed to care about this guy? Like they Mm -hmm. were kind of playing him as quite boring. And I'm like, yep, I'm on board for boring. But at a certain point, like, when you have him, you know, writing the letter to his wife about how I know I'm normal and I just wish I could be dashing and then him going to the mission and having lines. One of my favorite bits, maybe the funniest line in the whole movie is where he's like, I wrote the book on, you know, some aspect of spycraft or something. And Harrison Ford's like, well, what do we do? And he's like, I don't know. I don't remember, <laughs> you know, bits like that of this academic who's just inept in the field were fun to see. And yeah. I genuinely felt bad for this guy. You know, when we find out what the conflict is, his realization of Harrison Ford and his wife. And he, like, Christopher Plummer is just doing the Lord's work here. He has an assignment that is kind of no win. (laughs) And he is making you care about a character. And when you walk out of the movie, you're like, you know, kind of a lousy movie. But Christopher Plummer was fantastic. Yeah. I, I, I remember thinking when they're getting in the Jeep after they get out of the barn, even him just getting into the Jeep is very dashing. And I was like, for some reason in my brain, I went, gee, I wonder which one of these guys is the Oscar winner. <laughs> <laughs> and not to put Harrison Ford down, but, you know, he's the pro. And and a lot of that may also be the fact that Harrison Ford is kind of just sort of beginning his career as a leading man. And he's not there yet. But here's someone who has been at it for a long time and he just shines through this terrible film. Yeah, like I just continue to be more and more impressed with him. You know, Christopher Plummer's an actor who I'd seen things, you know, when I was growing up. Of course, I saw The Sound of Music and various other, but just over the course of my life, I've seen more and more of his work. Star Trek VI was obviously a big one for Scott and I. But, you know, over the last handful of years, I've watched more and more of his maybe lesser known work. And I've just been continually impressed with what a star he was and how much he brought to even a movie like this, which seems to be offering so little. Well, I'll ask you a question that I had in I had in my notes about Christopher Plummer. Mm. Should he have been the protagonist? Oh, that's interesting. I, and just the pitch, because Harrison Ford's character is—I mean, he's Harrison Ford. He, you put his name on a on a banner at this point, it might sell tickets. I get why he is your protagonist, but ultimately, he's an he's a jackass. <laughs> he's he's helping someone cheat on their partner and. That's not good. People don't inherently don't like that sort of stuff. I think that if you did this movie now and you cast Harrison Ford as the Christopher Plummer part and made it from his point of view, that would be interesting. Because he'd be playing the same part, but he'd be bringing his sort of, you know, certain sort of, you know, I hate to say this, you know, 
toxic masculinity in a way, even though I don't think that's mm-hmm. a lot of Harrison Ford's characters, but this sort of, you know, maybe the better, better idea is sort of this uh, old world idea of masculinity in a part that's supposed to be a nerd, which is really what Harrison Ford probably is himself, you know, as a person, it would, it would probably radiate what Plummer is not giving off to most audiences or people who make movies. We like him. People who maybe, you know, are going to pay money to see a Marvel movie or want to see a major film star want to see Harrison Ford. And I think that his charisma now in that part, if you reversed it, would work. I think he would know how to play that role now. Exactly. 1979, probably not. No, no, no. Yeah. And I'm just thinking of this now. Like, it's not something that I thought about ahead of time. But just bringing that up, I think that if you if you flipped it, unfortunately, Christopher Plummer would not hold a movie to audiences at that time. He is a supporting character. Yeah. He's older now. He's uh, not going to bring in the sort of box office for uh, uh, what am I trying to say? The people who are coming to see the beefcake. Mm-hmm. Right. Yeah, I mean, he's just a couple of years removed from playing like the villain in the third Pink Panther movie, so oh, it's not yes, like right? he's yeah, it's not like he's kind of lighting up you know Hollywood. It's just like he's the reliable pro they can always get in a movie like this, and will obviously go far above and beyond. He also was trying to get out of the shadow of Sound of Music, which he hated for years because it was making him hard from get more roles. Uh, which is funny that he picked a movie with more Nazis, but. I'm sure he just felt it was different. Yeah, I I think that it would be a great idea. I think that audiences then, particularly where movie theaters would be the only venue for you to see it, would not have taken him as the lead in that story. Yeah, that's what I think. I I think you're right. I just I just I think one of the issues, and we'll, I think we'll get to the Harrison Ford of it in a second, is just framing his character as a cheat is is just not a good setup i would say well yeah. you see the thing about the harrison ford character though is that he doesn't know he is like she won't even tell him her name he doesn't know anything about this woman but he sees the ring very early on yeah it's wartime scott <laughs> passions run high in wartime <laughs> but i mean wouldn't it but wouldn't it have been interesting if we we only saw it from their point of view and we and he's talking about some girl and we don't see him have the affair and then they find out to get like that would be much more interesting if that's a surprise to the audience that they have that connection. I mean, it is a little sort of tropey, but um, I think the thing is, we just hated the romance. Like it just that wasn't interesting at all. And who knows if originally with the original actors, right, that maybe it would have been more interesting. But I also think that Harrison Ford has good taste in films, so he hated the script. He knew it was bad, right? Like, we know he picks good films. He does, yeah. And I think Harrison Ford is pretty good at, like, the end moment of this movie where he kind of says his goodbye to her. I thought right there you got, okay, he can he can deliver this scene. Like, you can imagine a lot of actors just awkwardly fumbling that one out the gate and being like, ah, I, I give up. This movie's done. But, like, it seems like he's still bringing, like, a sensitivity to that scene that I bought even the moment where he, you know, sees the the locket and realizes that, you know, her character is married to Christopher Plummer, his reactions were pretty good. I bought them. They weren't played over the top, but you could kind of see the heartbreak on his character. It's just like the problem is so often you hear the um 
the references to Harrison Ford kind of sleepwalking in movies. It's something you hear more in the later days. People refer to, you know, like the one he did with Brendan Fraser, like the medical drama or something like that. And they'll say, you know, oh, it's the old autopilot um, Harrison Ford. And like the autopilot Harrison Ford felt like he was going on in this movie in a lot of it in a weird way, which I don't generally see in his older work. And to me, that's where like the performance gets tougher. It's like he works with these emotional moments, but then like, I have a scene where his two co, you know, co-pilots uh, or you know, uh, uh, assistants on the plane are killed, and um, he has a line where he says, "My God, he has no face," and it's like there's just nothing. There's nothing in like these like line deliveries. I think it's a combination. He's not a like he's ill-experienced as an actor. Like I still, even though I. I really admire that he wants to be a character actor and he's put in some good performances. I wouldn't say that Harrison Ford is a epic, one of our, you know, greatest uh, actors. He's a movie star, but that's still interesting, right? He's still really good at playing himself. He's, you know, he's, but he's putting in the work, which I really appreciate. The thing about this film is that I think that it's a combination of his inexperience and just not being like that good at his job yet. Um, And which I mentioned was him not feeling comfortable with the director, but, He's a professional, like, even if his life is crap and he hates the director, he shouldn't phone it in, right? Like, you've heard stories of actors where during the run of a film or a TV show, their spouse dies or, you know, they have a horrible, I mean, listen, if someone has an emotional thing as an actor and they need to leave a production, they should. I'm not saying that they shouldn't. But these actors chose to go on and they didn't phone it in. And I understand that he was not happy with the director and he wasn't having, you know, a great home life. You know, of course, you could say he was cheating on his wife, so maybe that's on him. But just, I, I see a man who's unhappy and he's not acting. And that bugs me about a lot of these films around this time. Like, oh, I'm sorry, you didn't like the director? Like, deal with it. Well, it, it seems like he should have been going method then if he was cheating on his maybe. wife at the time. This is... This is the perfect role for him. I don't want to sound like I'm, you know, being um, uh, superficial about this. You know, sometimes you just can't shine a turd, as they say, right? I've never used that phrase in my life. Um, a bad <laughs> script is a bad script. And if you don't feel connected to it and you just think it's bad, it's hard, right? It's, I, I get that too. But I, having read that he, he, if he didn't connect with the director and they didn't listen to him, he shut down. I think that he wasn't at a point where he was able to push past that yet. And, you know, eventually he did. I wonder if it was also Harrison Ford is not maybe 100% confident as an actor yet, you know, because Star Wars has been big, but it's like we haven't gotten to that, you know, really secure for you're going to get, you know, with the Empire, uh, um, you know, Indiana Jones films, Blade Runner. And you look at Blade Runner, there's a very downbeat performance that works way better than the downbeat performance here. He loved those directors. He connected so well with those directors. He loved them. You know, Spielberg is like a brother to him. He he loved yeah. working with uh, with uh, uh, I always say his name Kirshner on uh, on Empire. Like he he had such a great relationship with them, and it shows on screen. But I wonder if with a movie like this, where it's like he doesn't like the script and he's insecure about the director, and maybe he's not comfortable with kind of a movie star role yet on a set. If it's like a movie like this where you maybe want to go bigger, he would be too insecure to do. He'd be like, I'm uncomfortable with what I'm dealing with. I'm going to button it down and button it down as a kind of defense mechanism. And that does not come across well on screen. 
And listen, it's hard to be number one on the call sheet. You know, like it's a mm-hmm. big difference to being like a, a supporting character. Uh, not that he hasn't been the lead. He may not have been number one. He may have been number two. But like it, it's a lot of responsibility and it's a lot to do. And there's a lot of distractions on sets. And film acting is hard. It's hard, you know. Uh, not that he was a nobody. He had experience. But uh, yeah, no, I agree. I, I mean, I, I don't know whether I got this from the episode, the Ford cast episode on it or my own research before. But I read that they promised they would change the script for him, and then they never did. That's exactly what happened, yeah. Literally in his trailer for Force 10 for Navarone, he was meeting with the director. He he was promised that, so he said yes, because he was just so eager to be a romantic lead. Yeah. I mean, that was a big deal for him with Empire. He's like, he finally got to kiss the girl. Uh, and in Return of the Jedi, they didn't give them the whole script. So he thought, he didn't know that they were siblings, and he thought, very closely like through most of the movie that he wasn't going to get the girl and he was pretty pissed which of course was like no dude like you are i mean eventually he found out but like not till like halfway of the film but i, I suppose in, in his defense much as i i can't defend the acting in this film from him i think it's i i, I wrote down it was corpse like at times yes. you could have a cardboard standout and just have someone reading lines off screen and it would have had the same effect but i can understand someone being quite miffed about being promised something and then it not being delivered. And he's like, okay, I'm a professional. I'm going to turn up. And he's there. He's handsome. He's Harrison <laughs> Ford. But I, he, he's maybe not giving it his 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 all. He's physically there. Yeah, no, like, I, <laughs> I understand he's in the that. Room. I, I don't want to sound like I'm like, you know, um, I was going to say dissing him. God, what an old term. Um, sorry, I just gave away my Say age. Just him. I don't know why that's the word. going to drop a diss track on Harrison Ford. Can hit the beat. Listeners, there's been a lot of construction outside my apartment. I'm a little exhausted today, so I apologize if I sound like an idiot. Um, but, or use old terms from the 1990s. Uh, I just think it's an interesting thing that you can see him grow as an actor because I think. As, when he gets older and he finds a director that he doesn't really, you know, gel with, he doesn't phone it in necessarily. I mean, there are some of those 2000 movies, like you said, like with Brendan Fraser, which are not great. Um, but I, but this sort of feels a little bit like a, a, a young a young kid being like, I don't like it. Um, oh, God, I don't really. It's, I, I really do admire him. It sounds like <laughs> I, I'm being so horrible. But uh, but I just try a little. <laughs> He's yeah. such, I think it's also because we know how charming he can be, right? We know, it's not like mm. he's just like, oh, okay, this is how he always is and he's just a pretty face, right? We know that he can do it. You know, they, sometimes they'll say like, oh, this person could have chemistry with a brick wall, you know, because they're so like sexy and they, they bring in and they, they have this charisma and that's usually Harrison Ford. And so it's weird to watch this romantic movie and you just want to be like, come on, like bring it, you know? It's- to be fair, this time Harrison Ford is the brick wall. Uh, well, okay. Here's the thing. He's playing this character as like very aloof. This is a very aloof Harrison Ford performance. Yeah. And it does not work pivoting it slightly, putting him opposite a very aloof performance by Leslie Ann Down. Because you want one of these characters to at least be kind of the, the mover and the shaker among the two of them versus two people who look like when they're sitting at a table together want to be like moving further and further apart as opposed to the opposite cam cam i can't i just i have to go i can't 
But don't you think that she was directed? Like, not that I'm a huge like, yeah, yeah, I yeah. Seen, think so. Now, other than North and South, I really haven't seen her work. I, I, I feel bad. I think that she was probably told. I mean, it's also in the script to act like she was in a 1940s movie, but it doesn't work. It's just, it's not, you know, it's not her fault. Yeah, well, it's like they're saying it's, you know, restrained eroticism. We want this to be restrained, restrained. And it's like at a certain point, you're just watching two (laughs) corpses just sit opposite each other, staring at one another. Like, it just doesn't work. And that really is a weird contrast to these scenes where they just sit there at a table looking miserable. Like, as someone, you know, we, I think, probably all been on awkward coffee dates in our lives. I was watching an awkward coffee date unroll on screen for me. I was like, oh, God. Oh, God. Deja vu. But, like, then you have, like, that contrasted with, like, scenes where Harrison Ford is, like, prancing in the streets and, like, running in circles around her in the rain. And I'm like, these two things do not jibe well at all. (laughs) It's, yeah, it's just, it's the idea of a romance. It's not actually a romance. Well, I think before I take us home and talk about the knock list, guys, we did like the spy story. I think we can all agree we enjoyed that part of the film. Um, what is it about that part of the story that you liked, uh, Laura? Well, I think I mentioned it before. I know it's a bit tropey, but, you know, the whole um, pretending to be German and not really knowing the language and having to pretend you know the language. Like, we've well, we've all seen it before. Uh, but there is a little bit of a tension of, like, oh, will they get out or what's going to happen? Um, it's hard, right? Because I feel like it's not like I loved it, but it was more interesting than the rest of the film. And these are still two compelling actors, right? Like he's still interesting to watch some of the time. Uh, and then like we said, Christopher Plummer is really fascinating to watch and who doesn't love someone punching a Nazi. Totally. And I think the thing is like that whole men on a mission section it has a bit of a pulse, which you can't say for, mm-hmm. you know, all the preceding hour or so. And I think what I enjoyed was it is, you know, we've seen it before. Like, there's not a lot here that is new and original, but it's just like it's very simple. Yeah. So it's like, OK, we get to go watch them, you know, break into a, you know, Nazi headquarters, break into a safe. We get a motorcycle chase. We get to see dummies flying all over the place and cars exploding. I'm like, OK. None of it is done in a way that feels innovative or, you know, like some sort of action milestone of the era. But it's like, it's effective enough. It's efficient. It's the sort of thing like, I think a lot of this movie, if you were to sit and you were saying it could be like a TV movie. A lot of it could fe- feels like a TV movie you'd watch between 9 and 11. But like the action aspects feel like something you might tune on, you know, tune into um, in a like lazy afternoon and be like, Oh, I'll watch this 40 minutes of Christopher Plummer and Harrison Ford invading a Nazi headquarters. That's kind yeah. of fun. And hey, I got a, some shootouts and a really hilarious um, shot of Christopher Plummer falling through a like, you know, or hanging over a cliff. Uh, there's moments like that that are really entertaining. It has tension. Well, it's a massive switch up from early in the film when they're walking around a fake set of this fake street. Well, actually, Hanover Street is a real street in London. That is true. It, it's a real street. Uh, the station doesn't exist, though. That's the the reality. There is no station there. Oh, so, so is this is this in a studio? The the whole thing is a studio. Okay, well, a little behind the scenes. The the street they mocked up is a correct representation of that street. It's just around the corner from Oxford Street, which is the main shopping thoroughfare in London. Um, mm-hmm. But the nearest tube station is Oxford Circus, which is just around the corner. There's where that is. 
where the shot of them coming out of the train station on that street is all a set they made. Okay, I, th I thought it maybe it was a combination of both because obviously they can't blow up a real street mm. in London or wherever that is. Well, they, they could back in um, the 40s, but they can't now. <laughs> no, not now. No, no. You know, I tried to find out, which I didn't really look when we did the film because we were so upset that we didn't <laughs> like it. Um, if this was a real like bombing during the Blitz that had happened, I don't know why all of a sudden I thought there'd be some realism. I couldn't find it. Um, well, there is a there is an interactive map where you can actually look at London and the Blitz and find out where places were were, were blown up. Because I used to live in a house uh, around the corner from a place that was blown up during the Blitz, um, and which we actually mentioned back in. A, I think in the Operation Crossbow episode, Cam? That's right. And I can post that same link in the notes on this episode. So look for that below. Cool. Well, I just finished um, I just finished Miriam Margulies' biography. And uh, she was brought up in Oxford because, well, her mother was pregnant with her. Their, 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 her parents' house was blown up and they, they had to leave. Well, the railway children, as it was called. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, my That's my grandparents did the same thing. Uh, my 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 nan was shipped off halfway across the country to get out of London, and eventually came back after after the war. Oh, wow. But uh, yeah, so uh, the bit I found somewhat hilarious about the actual spy story, uh, as an aside, apart from Cam mentioning yeah, the hilarity of Christopher Plummer hanging from a bridge, is just this whole idea of them wanting you to root for Harrison Ford. And and yet you've got this really like super sweet Christopher Plummer like oh gee, I really <laughs> miss my girl at home. I love her so much, and yeah. Oh, but you're a real hero, Harrison Ford. I just you know if there's a kid drowning, you would jump in and save it. I would just give it my coat, and I have a wet coat. Uh, <laughs> what are we meant to be rooting for, Harrison Ford? What is this? His biggest vice is that he's just a little boring. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I mean, is that supposed to be the thing? And there's a the rugged American. I mean, he's so boring. I want an American pilot. Like, Get rid of him. It did sort of feel like kind of you know seen through an American eyes. I mean, I I don't know how you feel. Obviously, you have a completely different you know feeling about this, but particularly the scene when they're without Harrison Ford when they're like, so we sent someone, and they were killed, and then we sent someone else, and they were killed as well. <laughs> It's like, but we're all gonna have a stiff upper lip, and now you're gonna go because you know, and you'll but, you but he'll be fine. He'll be. Fine. He's probably fine. We, we show no emotion here. It's uh, yeah. it, it's it's entirely true. Particularly in the forties, well, apparently. I, I mean, you just just read the. Uh, I actually wrote this down. The opening scrawl to yeah. the film has this. Uh, for those who haven't actually watched the film, although I, I well, I maybe wouldn't recommend you do, but uh, if you did. Or if you didn't, at the beginning of the film, there's a scroll, kind of Star Wars-like, that tells you a little bit about what's happening in the world at the time. Uh, and I, I really think Peter Hyams really loved his own writing because uh, <laughs> this is oh, what no. he came up with to set the scene for uh, Hanover Street. It was a time when the choices were clear, a time when death was closer, so life was more precious. It was a time of courage and honour, of passion. And sacrifice. This is a story of two people swept up in that time who met and fell in love. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, not that I want to defend him, but it, it is sort of what they used to do in those movies. They you did. know, like I, I see what he's trying to do. It's just not successful. You know, you can do an homage. The John Barry score does all the heavy lifting there. Like, all yeah. the heavy lifting there. Um, it cuts out, of course, Christopher Plummer. 
Yeah. Then they're given away in the scroll that they fall in love. Okay. Mm-hmm. All right. Great. Thanks. Oh, I'm so mad. Such potential. There is such potential here. I know. It's such a, it is such a waste. You, uh, we, I don't know if we said this during the beginning or off air, but like going into this, I was so hyped at seeing a young Harrison Ford. And then it just... So hyped, yeah. A, what word did I use to describe it? Uh, what, a misfire? Yeah. Yeah, it's just an absolute damp squib. It's a misfire. I thought it was weird. They set up the whole idea of this mission has to be real top secret. They've got to send in a guy they trained and then later, you know, plumber takes the spot because there is a mole at a high level. So whatever happened with that? God, I forgot about that. I, I, I did keep thinking, though, that there's so many World War II stories where someone goes, I'm going to go undercover. Like, did that? Were, were the Nazis that stupid? Yeah, well... <laughs> In movies, they certainly were, yeah. They're like, I don't know who you are, but you're wearing a uniform. I guess you're fine. I guess they could fake credentials, you know. It wasn't like they were scanning people in with a barcode back then. But <laughs> it's like, this happens a lot. And they did try and weekend at Bernie's, the uh, the Nazis at one point, to yeah. be fair. Oh, weekend at Bernie's. What a great flick that would not stand up today. I suppose I, I kind of want to just throw it out for final thoughts before we get to the knock list. I have one question that I'll throw out. Mm-hmm. We've said about Harrison Ford's bad acting, whether that's necessarily all on him or a bit on Peter Hyams, that's up for debate. The same with Leslie Ann Downs. You know, is it her fault? Is it the directing? We don't know. We weren't there. But is a lot of this film just because it's written by Peter Hyams directed by Peter Hyams. I think he did some of the um, DP work as well on this film. Or someone on Twitter has told me that anyway. And so he was he had his hands thoroughly in this film. And did, could it have maybe um, done a bit better if it had a second writer come in or another director to take the script and, and mould it to something a bit better? Would that have maybe saved this film? Well, I mean, if you look at Peter Hyams' career, he would move into doing sci-fi and uh, action movies. That seems to be much more of his thing than sweeping period-era romances. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, there's something to be said about growing as an artist, right? Like, a lot of people, unlike, you know, film directors, because it's out there for the rest of time, you know, but it used to be a point where, you know, actors could be bad in theater and, you know, be better until they maybe got a better job, you know? Like... He he could have just been learning and figured out what he could do well. But that being said, I mean, that's a lot of my issue. You know, I used to be a really big fan of Aaron Sorkin. And I feel like now that particularly, even though I think it was happening before this, uh, that he is directing his own work, he doesn't have anyone to edit. Some could say the same thing to, for George Lucas, right? He didn't have his um, ex-wife anymore as someone to bounce ideas off of, to edit. Uh, he was considered a genius and no one wanted to tell him that maybe episode one wasn't very good. Um, and he's admitted to that and other people admitted to that. It's in a documentary, right? So there's something to be said when you're making all the decisions there's no one to say, oh, maybe, have you ever thought of this instead? And that's sparking an idea. Or, you know, maybe you shouldn't do that. Or this is coming across as that because you don't have a filter if it's just you. There are There is a history of writer-directors who are quite successful and have Oscars and are auteurs, as they like to say. So it's not an exclusive thing 
but there is something to be said about it, I guess is what I'm trying to say. Mm. Yeah. Well, uh, what about what about you, Lauren? Do you have any sort of final notes on the film you want to bring up? I wish it was better. This this is your final time talking about Hanover Street, I imagine. So this, <laughs> your final chance. Uh, this is a terrible period in Harrison Ford's life. <laughs> Wait, I shouldn't be laughing. Sorry. <laughs> just just skip just skip all of these. I didn't mean that personally, even though you know he brought it on himself. Mm. Whatever. Um, I will not defend him for that, but, uh, you know, he, he doesn't really do a big film again until Empire. All of these films, except, I mean, listen, Apocalypse Now is a masterpiece. I can never watch it again, but it's wonderful. Um, but he's, you know, got, he's got a cameo, glorified cameo in that movie. It's not like it's a huge thing from any filmed it years before it came out. So it's not like it's even a 79 film. Uh, is he just does a bunch of really bad films until Empire. And that really just shows what he can do. And then on top of that, you get Indiana Jones and it's just like bona fide movie star. Yeah. Uh, you just, you know, unless you want to be, you know, a Harrison Ford scholar, I would skip all these films. I, I think we might end up having to debate the same thing about spy movies in just a few seconds. But Cam, did you have any final notes? Uh, I got a f- couple things. Um, James Bond regular player Shane Rimmer pops up as Harrison Ford's commanding officer who's giving all the briefings. Mm-hmm. I thought that was fun. He pops up in like three or four Bond movies. Um, I also thought the, um, the um, I don't know, the intelligence agent who's talking about his pipe the whole time was kind of funny. I don't know what was going on there, but it made me laugh. <laughs> This one's supposed to be a lot cooler. Mm. Yeah, I kind of appreciate that. Well, we we do have two like sitcom people. We have Richard Mazar. Yeah, who was in One Day at a Time, and I love him. He's done tons of stuff after that. Um, and then uh, John uh, Ratzenberger from Cheers. Yeah. So that well, that was fun. I guess that's positive to see them when they were younger. They kind of bring their scenes to life a little bit, just having their energy there. Their characters aren't really there on the page, but they're fun to watch. Um, Also, I just want to note too, like the first bombing mission we see Harrison Ford go up on with his two colleagues there, it is real creaky looking. Like it is like uh, Plan 9, you know, from outer space of like actors sitting on an awkward set and I'm never for a second believing they're in a real plane. Like it looked really awkward. Well, it's funny you say that because um, I don't know if it was that scene particularly, but the at least the outsides of the planes were real. Those were real uh, B B twelves. B what is it? Hold on. Yeah. Um, but yeah, those are those were real planes. Maybe not the cockpit, but the rest of it was real. Um, I was just so fed up with this film. I guess I didn't notice. <laughs> it got better. It was. I found the first one. I'm so sorry. You should bring me on with something I liked, and I will be much more we, uh, okay. buoyant and positive. We have a history with this. We bring in great guests and then give them the worst films <laughs> so this is like a trial by fire you then get a better film afterwards so don't worry it gets better from okay. here we're just saying like this is the low bar people are gonna listen to this and be like oh my god she's character assassinating <laughs> harrison ford how dare she hey we we've still got to do um what have we got the um jack ryan films oh yep those are do good. those it, we're, we're Indiana Jones is sort of spy adjacent, so we're going to do all the Indiana Jones at some point. And I'm missing a couple more of Harrison Ford's spy films. Are you? I, oh, uh, Force 10 from Navarone. Yeah. Force 10 is terrible, so um, <laughs> I wouldn't watch that either. 
again, this is a ter- he did Star Wars and then it was just like a bunch of stuff that feels so dated and not good. I mean, how do you do a movie with Gene Wilder and it's still not like be good? Like it's just I don't know. Some people I would say that 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 is a better movie than this. I would rather watch um, The Frisco Kid any day. Right. Because they're just charming in it, you know, although he's a little but than this. But it's just a period of, you know, skip films. Although there's nothing compared to the film where he uh, he just plays a, a guy who smokes pot all the time. I mean, not that far from his own life at the time, but uh, with Candace Bergen, funny enough, who we also mentioned. Um, but uh, getting straight, he's just a guy who smokes pot. Uh, I digress. Anyway, just watch Empire. <laughs> <laughs> well, yeah, that's always good advice. Um, well, I think we're at the the moment on the podcast now. We're going to catch that bus, hopefully, to the knock list. Cam, Lauren, the question is, is it Hanover Street or Hanover Sleep? Is it making the knock list, yes or no? Now, Cam, as we have a guest, please explain the knock list and what we're doing here. Yes, the knock list is our tortured acronym for Need to See Official Classics of the Spy Hearts podcast, where every week we vote to see if the movie we've talked about belongs in the pantheon of all-time great spy films. So, mm. uh, yeah, <laughs> Hanover Street. <laughs> <laughs> Lauren, you're our guest. You get the first vote. Yay or nay, is it making the knock list? It's a nay, but I just realized that I did enjoy uh, Soldier... Oh, God, I'm such an idiot. Uh, Soldier Tinker Spy. Tinker Tailor Soldier Spy. Yes, I don't know why that all of a sudden like flashed, and I and Bridge of Spies I also enjoyed. Anyway, this is not an answer to your question, but all of a sudden that flashed in my head. Again, not a lot of sleep. <laughs> um, no, and I don't think that anyone who's listened to all of this podcast thinks that I was going to give a different yeah. answer. No, I, I no. don't think they'll be surprised by either no. of our answers either, to be fair. Um, but Cam, yes or no? Uh, I'd rather be hanging out on 92nd Street. <laughs> oh. <laughs> Oh, no, no, I can't, I can't, I can't. We were referring, of course, to The House on 92nd Street, one of the movies we covered on this show that was a very fun episode to do. But, um, wow. no, Hanover Street is uh, a big no for me. I mean, I don't think it's unwatchable. It's just kind of a very, very generic studio film that just has nothing going for it. So, I don't know. I was just kind of disappointed. You know, you can see the Christopher Plummer stuff. He's pretty fun. But other than that, it's it's a skip. So, no for me. Well, there you go. Two no's. So it's not making the list, but my vote, uh, as usual, means nothing. But here we go. I, I think unless you're an absolute masochist or a completionist, it's 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 basically a skip. <laughs> you, you have to really either really like Harrison Ford or really, really like spy movies. Now, I watched it twice for this podcast, and I definitely fell to Hanover sleep the second time. <gasps> yeah. Oh, I'm so sorry. So... We we used to say on my podcast, uh, we're watching all of Harrison Ford's movies so you don't have to. Yeah, maybe that should be our angle from now on. Yeah. Listen to the podcast. You listen to this one. You listen to, to the Forecast podcast. And uh, and then you're done. And you move on. Well, there you go, folks. That is three no's. And so I guess the bombing run has missed its target. Hanover Street is not making the not <laughs> list. Lauren. I want to thank you for taking the time to revisit a film you didn't like the first time and you definitely didn't like the second time. <laughs> well, thank you for asking me. Uh, and and like I said, even though I didn't like it, I think that it's an interesting behind-the-scenes sort of peg in Harrison mm. Ford's life that people don't talk about, his trajectory as an actor. And so thank you for having me. Well, I mean, so obviously the Ford cast 
has wrapped for now, though potentially coming back down the line. But what is it you're working on at the moment? Uh, I'm currently doing the uh, Murphy Brown podcast because I am always current. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, And... uh... (laughs) Uh, it's a show I used to watch as a very little kid, uh, you know, it was on Nick at Night and stuff. And so uh, we've kind of been going through it uh, even before they revived it. And uh, it, it's really been a lot of fun because we've been able to have some really great uh, actors from the show on, all the writers, uh, to talk about it, sort of its place in sitcom history, as well as uh, how relevant it was at the time and how a lot of the references that they bring up actually do sort of connect to today's politics, strangely enough, or scary enough. Um, but we've also been able to have Richard Schiff from the West Wing nice. on the show because he was a guest star. We've had Joanna Gleason, uh, who's also on the West Wing, but also has a Tony for uh, this amazing Sondheim musical called uh, uh, Into the Woods. Mm-hmm. Anyone knows that. Uh, and uh, we've really sort of been using it as a way to talk about that error and um, from character actors to the writing and then every episode we take apart the references and we'll talk about it. You know, like we, we did an episode once where Murphy tried to get into an all male club. So we talked about the history of, of, you know, women getting into male clubs and how all of a sudden it was sort of reverting back. And so we try to make it educational and interesting, kind of like our own version of West Wing Weekly, uh, as well as sort of, you know, summarizing the show and, and, you know, making each other laugh. And we'll have links to that as well in the show notes. Uh, and then um, I have a podcast that isn't as regular uh, where I've been uh, recording scenes from this play that I wrote on George Burns and Gracie mm-hmm. Allen, which if people don't know, they were a comedy team uh, in vaudeville and very popular in the radio and had a television show that was on longer than I Love Lucy, but really radio was their biggest popularity. And uh, a lot of people, I think, don't know a lot about Gracie Allen uh but if it wasn't for her, there would be no Lucille Ball. So I've been really trying to get her story out uh, to people. And uh, so we recorded scenes uh, from the play like it was an old time radio show. And so that also is a, a show you can listen to. It's called The Rock on Tours, a story of George Burns and Gracie Allen. Cool. And actually, uh, George and Gracie were the names of the whales in Star Trek Four, a reference to those two. Yeah. Yeah. Yes, they were. <laughs> it all connects. That's and, right. and where can people like, uh, obviously, we'll put links in the show notes for your shows, but where can people find you on Twitter? Yeah, sure. I'm on Twitter and Instagram. Um, it's my full name, Lauren, L-A-U-R-E-N, Milberger, M-I-L-B-E-R-G-E-R. Come on and chat. Tell me I'm wrong about the movie. <laughs> Or them, right. I don't think many people will argue about uh, Hanover. I, I'd love to hear someone who loved it. <laughs> well, there's going to be 18 people that send you yeah. uh, arguments. <laughs> I, yes, the 18 people that Harrison Ford spoke about. Where are you? I shouldn't have said that. Someone will probably just troll me and be like, I actually liked it. It My was great. My whole family love it. There's 19 of us. That's... Thanks. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I will fight you. Like, oh, uh, classic okay. internet. I love your passion. Well, Lauren. I'm Lauren, happy that you're you happy. thank you so much for joining us. Thank you for having me. Well, again, we want to thank Lauren for jumping on the pod to talk about Hanover Street. And unfortunately, the uh, the film itself did not make the knock list. That was three no's. And as such, the dossier on the film is complete and filed as classified. But Cam, the question of the hour, what are we doing next week? Well, Hanover Street wants to be an old-fashioned thriller. But we're going to talk about a real old-fashioned thriller the Man Who Knew Too Much, the original 1934 Alfred Hitchcock classic, question mark. We are going to talk about it and debate if it is indeed a classic and belongs on the knock list. Well, this is one of those films that people have asked for. We've had 
messages on on social media, emails about this film. So I'm glad we're finally ta- tackling it. And it's been a while since we've tackled a Hitchcock film. That's right. And this is going to kick off a mini series here where we do this version and we will do the later James Stewart version a little bit later down the road. Yeah, so we're, we've done this a couple of times. We did it with Jackal as well. So if there's been a remake, we're going to put them kind of like a franchise. So two months difference between them. Uh, and we're going to bring a guest on for the second one. But for this first version, it's just going to be me and you breaking down the film. So your mission, should you choose to accept it, is to watch The Man Who Knew Too Much from 1934, the Alfred Hitchcock classic and join us next week now unfortunately Hanover Street didn't make the knock list but you can find out more about the knock list on letterbox.com slash spyhards and if you don't know we are on patreon now where you can sign up to uh, support the show there's lots of different levels you can join us and you can get access to our agents in the field series which catalogs non-spy films from your favorite spy actors as well as exclusive film commentaries we've already got James Bond's Goldeneye and Harry Palmer, Michael Caine himself in the Ipcris file. So uh, head on over to patreon.com slash spyhards to find out more about that. And there are, of course, links in the show notes below. And of course, finally, do not forget to follow us discreetly on social media at S-P-Y-H-A-R-D-S on Facebook, Twitter and Instagram. But until next week, Cam. Yes, Scott. Promise me something. Anything for you. Think of me when you drink tea.